Robert Wade, your resident wizard. This is Rayella, today's modern witch. In today's show, we're going to be covering a particular topic that is just ground level, because this is the first episode and we're going to get a little meta with you. But uh, we introduced ourselves as both a witch and a wizard. And what I'd like to do is I kind of like to define those terms, because one of the most basic questions people coming in ask is, you know, what kind of witches are there? And what you don't often hear is anybody who who self-identifies as a wizard and how that might slightly be different. Uh, and that's how we're going to kind of treat this, is two people looking at the same kind of spiritual material and, and hitting it from uh, two slightly different angles and getting some comparison. But in the craft, what you get is a, a large variety of people kind of viewing the same thing and approaching it from a slightly different angle. So I think what's really important here is that while Rael and myself have uh, something along the lines of 30s of experience as sort of blue-collar pagans, uh, that we are not the resident experts for everyone, but we are definitely speaking to a long period of time and a certain degree of, of um, experiential lineage and, and to kind of play into some of the questions that are frequently asked. So, Braille, I'm going to toss it to you. If you had to define what a witch is, somebody came to you and said, you know, what exactly is a witch? How would you approach that? <sighs> That's interesting. Uh, well, for a sure, first, let me ask you, has anybody actually asked you that question? Uh, I, I, you know, it's sometimes, yes. Um, you know, it, it's, there's a dichotomy between people who identify as pagan, where they say, I'm pagan. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not a witch. Or I'm a witch and a pagan. Um, and that also comes to you when, when, uh, when I've introduced myself uh, as, as Wiccan or Wiccan high priestess, um, they have, uh, they've asked me, well, what, then we get into the discussion of, well, what is Wicca? And I'd say, well, it's commonly known as a form of witchcraft. And for me, a witch is a practice a practitioner of magic, uh, which could be male. It could be female. Uh, it can, and you, you can be transgender. It doesn't matter. It's a, witch is a practitioner of magic. Very similar is that a wizard is a practitioner of magic. It's, mm -hmm. it's whatever the name that a person or a, ma um, a magic user decides that they want to identify themselves with. It's whatever's most comfortable in for them. In, in my opinion. Okay. So it, as far as the, the follow-up of that question, and, and actually I think it's really interesting that you, you'd mentioned, I think when we, we hear witch, that the idea in mind is that that is a female-specific term. And, you know, the common perception as it is uh, portrayed in media and on Halloween <laughs> uh, or on Looney Tunes is that it is a female. Yep. Female, um, so, basically a female hag, you know, wizard, your wizard of Oz type of uh, stereotype. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's not necessarily the case. Now there are other things that have been out in media that have um, um, possibly changed that a little, but I think that that's the first thing that usually comes to people's mind when they hear the term witch. Mm-hmm. But why do you think that it's specific to being female? 
Uh, I think that that has to do with historically how how witchcraft or like the Inquisition was uh, mm. portrayed. That I mean, they generally tended to go after females. There were men as uh, there were men as well that were identified. But yeah, generally, generally, I think that there was um, there was a a focus, or at least what you read about, because mm-hmm. history is from the eye of the um, person winners of the winners. Yeah, and you get a lot of warped symbolism as a result, and we see that uh, on Halloween. Uh, we see that again in the media, and and we got cartoons. You know, when you see Bugs Bunny, and you see which Hazel. Uh, which Hazel exactly, and she she kicks up her heels and little little you know with the horseshoes kind of you know make that clicking sound and she takes off, you know it's funny but it's stuff like that is viewed through a, a perspective of time, it's mm-hmm. it's a social warping of of the concept of what a witch is, so a modern witch is dramatically different, and and what we see is this strange characterization that society kind of portrays. That is the character that they. They created. It's really the best way to put it. It's a cartoon of reality, and and the actual reality is far more uh, sublime and much more common than I think people who come into the path realize. I, I would say that there. I'm kind of wondering too if a lot of the different terminology that has come out with you know there are some people that identify themselves as just pagan there are some people that say i'm a witch there are other people that say i'm wiccan there are other people that say uh i'm a heathen or um you know there's or i'm a spiritualist um or agnostic you know there's there's just this variety of of um of names uh, kind of it, it's it's like paganism has become very similar in different different paths um like Mm -hmm. christianity has diverged into different paths um because you know you would not get a catholic and a baptist saying that they're the same um as you know as a baptized catholic growing up um because that's where my history comes from uh yeah it's 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 different um there are differences. There are similarities, but there are also differences. And there's a lot of that um, that has happened or exploded in the last couple of decades uh, in the pagan world. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how our titles and and our paths change and shift and converge and how growing numbers are going to hopefully challenge and maybe change some of these perceptions going forward. So 50, a hundred years from now, maybe there'll be a different meaning or a different uh, visualization that comes to mind when you hear the word witch. That makes good sense because whenever you use a title or a, I guess titles really kind of the best way to put it, but it's uh, it's it's symbolic. And with that symbol comes a, a certain set of of imagery, and a certain set of preconceived notions. So, when you hear witch, depending on who you talk to, they think of somebody who's communing with nature twenty four seven. Other people they look at them as modern hippies, sort of a modern day folk remediist or folk hacker, if you will, somebody who's particularly talented 
be it in the kitchen, be it with herbs, be it with interacting with individuals, uh, be it with divination, but that they, they're sort of a level of spiritual expertise and that the things they do and the kind of ironic coincidences that spring from those kinds of individuals basically feel like witchcraft. Mm-hmm. You know, feel like a, a sort of a, a touch of magic in kind of a, a, a an eerie, ironic sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. Spot on. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. So, so what, 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 what would you, how would you define wizard? Oh, uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, wizard's a little bit fuzzier because there's a lot on witchcraft. Wizard is, is a, is a catch-all term. It, it kind of breaks into a, a person who is considered, let's say someone who searches for wisdom or somebody that you might consider very wise in something. That said, I don't consider myself very wise. I think that whether or not somebody is a wizard, it very much depends on the person that's viewing them from the outside. <laughs> so either, either it, to somebody else who is wise, viewing a wizard, they would say that person is on the path to becoming one. And to possibly other people who maybe hear you say something wise like a fortune cookie, they say that person's a wizard. But generally speaking, wizard is somebody who seeks out sort of... Um, deeper knowledge or, or sort of that, that wisdom really digs at the why and gets that, that, that feeling of spiritual depth by finding that sort of nugget of hidden information, that, that understanding that, that kind of goes further. Like a person might look at a chair and say, this chair inspires me. A wizard would look at the chair and say, I want to know how it was cut. I want to know why it was cut that way. I want to know how that supports a person's weight and what is the best way for that chair to support someone's weight. Who owned that chair before you? What story does that chair have? I want to know everything about that chair. And knowing more heightens that feeling of connectedness. And it's it's that uncovering of sort of nature's Easter eggs that provides that that emotional kick that that triggers a person into sort of heightening their, their level of, I'm going to use a very empty term, but it's something we'll circle back around on later. It heightens their energy. So when we talk about later raising energy, having these sort of intricate symbols, both physical and, and representative, knowing more detail makes that symbol more rich. And, and the richer the symbol, the more inspired to, to a point of awe that you can reach when you, when you start to sort of contemplate on it or when you use these symbols in a, in a larger setting or you begin to com- combine symbols. You might not just have the chair. You might have the chair in a very special table. You might have it within a circle drawn a very special way. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's almost as if the inspiration is in the details. It's context. And the wizard is digging for the kind of the nuggets of wisdom within the common items around them in order to feel more connected with it. So I, I would definitely say that while I, I think witches do this as well, um, I think it's like the difference between a nerd and a geek. With a geek being emotionally excited about something super cool and a nerd sort of digging down into the details uh, to the point where, you know, it, it's, it's really refined. 
and, and the thrill of having that knowledge and that information. Not to be better or more right than anyone else, but to understand it connects you further with it. So, yeah, I think, I think that would be, I think, you know, that, you know, nerd is to a wizard as, as a witch is to a geek in a very loose way, in a very loose way. One so not been, being better than the other. I've been I might called add. worse. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I mean, did I, did that, is that adequate? Do you think, yes. do you, do you think that's Actually, uh, think or, or that's off great. in some way? No, I think that's a great analogy. The goal here isn't to say, well, oh, I see it this way, and that's obviously better. No. Uh, the, the, the goal here is to say, I see it this way, and this is what does it for me. This is what gets me there. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, when we talk about how magic works, uh, there are multiple angles to the same kind of spell work, to the same sort of craft work. There are different angles you can take to get you there, because otherwise, without you getting there, it's just stuff. That's just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're not using your altar, you know, if you're not there to use it, it's just a bunch of stuff on a table. <laughs> it might look really good. Still, just a bunch of stuff on a table. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I think that's I think that's the primary difference. Um, without getting into the, the major details, so maybe we should get into some of the details. So, how does a witch perceive deity? Uh, personally, for in my in my journey. I have perceived deity as I perceive deity as a faceted gem Mm -hmm. and depending upon, yeah, depending upon which facet you are looking at will carry a certain archetype, a certain vibration. Uh, It could be, or this term we're going to get into later, a certain energy. For example, in, in my, in my practice, uh, we have drawn down, archetypes of deity and performed ritual theater um, invoked as those archetypes or representing those archetypes and which could be from uh, any of the pantheons that are out there Uh, gods that could be that could are considered to be dead um, those that are considered to be still living you know i have always looked at you know each of these archetypes uh, are part, they are part of a whole, you know, there's, there's, there's saying, you know, I am, I am more than the sum of my parts. And to me that, that is what deity is. And you, you find that all around you, you find that mm-hmm. in the trees and the grass and the air, you can find that above and below. You find that within yourself and you see it within every uh, person that you come into contact with. If you choose to. Mm-hmm. To me, that uh, that is that is how I uh, view deity. And I like that. I like I like how you put that. You know, it, it's it's a part of that is finding it within others. Mm-hmm. And I think that I am most inspired by people when I feel like they have characteristics that are are like you know nestled underneath their human persona is a a mortal god. You know, buried within them is is a a soul of wisdom, or a series of personalities that, if allowed to to sort of grow and mature, uh, really kind of it could be best personified as a deity, and not even a deity with a specific name, but uh, just as an individual being godlike. And I 
I think one of the things that we take for granted is the fact that, you know, when we're walking on a path and we see an ant cross the path, you know, we do have a choice to step on it or not, you know, in that in that moment, making the choice to not to to purposefully step over and purposefully step around this creature that has no knowledge of your existence whatsoever. Uh, and and the fact that something greater and much, much larger than itself, only greater as well, as far as importance is concerned, but let's just say larger, you know, made the choice not to sacrifice a small life mm-hmm. wantonly. And that to me is, is, you know, just a, you know, just a nugget, a nugget of deity within a human being, a nugget of deity within the human animal, I think. From a wizard's perspective, uh, and I can't speak to all wizards, uh, but what I can definitely say is I don't necessarily believe in gods and goddesses so much as I believe that other people do. And I think that what's important is that if everyone has sort of their, um, their imaginary friends, and that is not a slight, so try to understand that, that that is a respective term to say our imaginary friends. If your deities are not your friends, you, you, something's not right. <laughs> you know what? You know, because if the voice in your head is is saying, stab yourself in the eye with the pencil, Bob, you know, this is not good. <laughs> and that borderlines into uh, personality disorders. It, it, you know, but but that everyone walks around with their imaginary friend on their shoulder, maybe a few, and that this motivates you. This this changes who you are, changes what you do, changes how you interact with other people very dramatically, sometimes very violently. Regardless of whom your imaginary friend is, it does affect who you are and how you are to other people. Um, and not to say that a person who has no imaginary friend is thus without somebody to tell them how they should be, because I find atheists to be just as moral, just as ethical as anyone else. But there's sort of a robbing that happens, I think, when a person's not allowed to connect with sort of that intimate inner uh, deity and, and to sort of communicate and play with that, that divine source that's sort of central to the person. I might not believe in a separate God. I might not believe in a, in a let's say, a, a Diana, for example, that is outside of me, watching me, or, or that I must get favor for. But if you believe that, then that's going to change how you perceive the world and how you act within the world. Uh, you know, you might find a, a reserve of hope and action where otherwise you would have had hopelessness because you feel that this thing that is greater than yourself is fighting for you or fighting with you or maybe fighting within you. And to me, that's real. You know, I, I don't believe in Jesus, but I do definitely believe that Jesus is ref- the, the symbolism of Jesus is reflected through Christians. And thus, I can go up to a person whom I would consider to be a, a decent Christian, and I can, I can see, I can kind of, you know, I can perceive whether or not they're really taking their imaginary friend to heart <laughs> and whether or not they're allowing that imaginary friend to be reflected through them and their actions. The flip of that, of course, is that people can be very bad for the exact same reason. And, and that's also concerning. Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of how I perceive it is I'm not, I'm not atheist in the sense of not believing in any deity. I am 
very lightly theist in the sense that if you believe in a deity, I believe you believe in one, and I believe that the deity you believe in works through you. Um, I think kind of like within every person is sort of this, you know, walnut of 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 deity, and it's the kind of the best part of a person, I think, or at least hopefully it would be the best part of that person. Uh, it's it's you know would be the spiritual contemplative uh, collected. One would hope, at least, uh, but because there are a lot of deities out there that are quite far from that. But there are some people that just sort of present themselves and and sort of carry themselves with a level of of uh, a larger kernel of deity within them, and that's really what I'm going after when I talk to people one on one. Yeah, whether they know it or not. This this conversation just sparked a little epiphany in my brain here that I'm going to have to massage and and think about on another level. But you know. What if we were, what if we are all deity, for example, that, and, and it goes, it goes back to big bang and the big mm-hmm. bang was, you know, deity basically exploding into, you know, gazillion little bits. And we are now all those little bits. I, I don't think that's far from the truth at all. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, Carl, well, no, I mean, it, it's it's that that concept of the, the idea that we're all made of stardust. Mm-hmm. You know that we are. There's nothing special about humans or or living things on this planet. We are made of the most common stuff in the universe. We are made of star stuff, quite simply put. So yeah, I mean, I I think I would. I kind of sometimes I pretend. I'd, I kind of like to imagine that that everything uh, that that is around us has a certain amount of sort of life to it. And I know there's this. Um, concept of you know what is intelligence and oftentimes when i hear that contemplated it's in relation to human intelligence which is either very advanced or very unadvanced depending on the perspective that you want to come at it from but that if you look at a rock and go that's just very slow intelligent life and it's moving and operating at a speed far slower than we can perceive and thus because it's moving at a at a speed in its lifespan that is dramatically different. We just don't recognize it. It's hard for us to relate to. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting just to kind of wrap, wrap in pop culture. Did you see Avengers? Any of the Avengers movies? Uh, yes. Okay. So did you see the one where, where Loki and Thor, uh, Loki's in his sort of cage while they're on the giant helipad, a helicarrier, and he's talking to Thor, and Loki says, these people believe we're gods. You know, that we can't be destroyed or killed. And in that moment, I was kind of like, wow, that's kind of fascinating. Because if you come from a realm where everybody is kind of equally great, then nobody seems great. They're not going to believe themselves to be God. No, they they, if you, they believe themselves to be as guardian. They're, that's just that's or, what they are. Or just people. They're just people, just, right? You know, or just, you know, I'm just somebody from Asgard. Yeah, you go to Asgard, it's like, no, I just, I just make like muffins from Asgard. I mean, they're really good muffins, but, you know, I just, I just can work in Asgard. So I don't see myself <laughs> as being any better or worse. I just make muffins. That's what I do. And I go home and I get on my Asgardian throne and I use the restroom. <laughs> Sleep in my Asgardian queen size bed. It, it, you get it, right? Yeah. But then you come to a place where there's a huge difference in, in let's, let's say, power or capabilities. And all of a sudden, you know, those characters are held up to this, this godlike stature. And it's interesting because, you know, the, the characters themselves come from mythology. Their, their mythos is that they are gods. 
and it got worked into a, a cartoon or into, I'm sorry, into a comic, uh, which I thought was kind of brilliant. But that, that momentary comment of these people think we're gods, you know, like, like, oh my gosh, they think we are greater than, than we know that we are because we're stronger than them in this place. And it's, it's, what would you do if in, you know, any given moment you, you realized that, that you were a deity to everything around you and that you had the responsibility to being a deity to those things? What kind of God would you be? Would you be a good God or would you be bad? How would you define goodness? Right, right, right. Because, so that does get a bit deeper, doesn't it? Yeah, that does get a bit deeper because goodness, like being a parent, is not always soft and fluffy. When you're a parent, you are not your child's friend all the time. Right. You are also sometimes a disciplinarian. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know. Or, or a trickster. Or a, or a partier. Uh-huh. Uh, you're a Loki. Or you're a number of, of uh, the deities that we have that we have characterized to have these sort of extreme uh, types of, of swings. Yeah. And it's interesting get whenever I have uh, someone, you know, someone new to a pagan path or, and they're, mm. they're searching for, for, you know, what it is that they, they want. Uh, you know, the, I say my, the, the first major person that came to me when they found out that I was, I was pagan or a witch and, you know, you get the, the, the wide eyes and full of wonder. And it's like, you know, how, how do I, you know, or what can I do? And they, having somebody come to you like that is it, for me, it was, it was, it was very daunting and even a little uncomfortable because it's like, mm -hmm. gosh, I mean, this person is basically opening up themselves and what I say or do or what instruction I give them Mm -hmm. is going to impact them and then shape them going forward. It's almost like a weird level of fandom, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Like the, in, the, in that moment, you have the, the, the potential to have like an impression on somebody that's either going to, you know, really turn them away from everything or, or turn them towards it. Yeah. Uh, and it's unfair. It's unfair because it's, it's just like, it's just like going to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is a wizard at working out. You know, he's a wizard at, at how to tone your body, and and uh, and he has a great amount of experience in that. But to to come from that angle of trying to treat him as a superhuman is a separation between what you see versus what you can be. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like somebody saying, "How do I eat an elephant?" And you just look at him one bite at a time. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't be overwhelmed. It's not that big of a deal. But don't be overwhelmed. It's just you know I'm no different than you are. I've just been kind of doing this thing for a while. If you do this thing for a while, you one of the things that I really liked, at least the, the Harry Potter films, because believe it or not, as a wizard, I've not read any of the Harry Potter books. I don't have wrong, not I like, actually. I, I tried reading the first one, and I and I didn't get very far into it. What? <laughs> oh, no, oh right not, there, we're gonna piss people off. I, uh, <laughs> It's not that I didn't enjoy the stories. It was just I had uh -huh. I, I was I was in college. I had schoolwork to do. I didn't have a lot of time to do. I understand. Um, you were a witch who had shit to do. Yeah. I didn't have time for recreational yeah. reading. I can't wait to read them to, with my kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But one of the things that I liked, at least as far as it was one of the movies, one of the things that stuck out was, you know, when Harry said where we are now 
is where these other people whom we admire, who are incredibly strong or incredibly powerful, they were where we are now. And as a result, we will be them when we get there. But this is where we start. We are already them. We are already that powerful. We are just putting, it's just a matter of time, Mm -hmm. you know, but we've put our foot on the path. We're already on the path and our future is already as powerful as they are right now. And I am paraphrasing horribly here. Oh yeah. The sentiment is the same, Mm -hmm. which is that once you set your foot on a path, you have the potential to be every hero anyone whom you've admired that 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 you have held in some degree of esteem and i even say that that goes the same for any deity that you admire once you set your foot on the path to mimicking the symbolism within whatever your target deity is then you know if if you're getting the best attributes out of that then then you're going to be a mortal deity i'm really speaking to that sort of spiritual divinity and wisdom that is nuggeted within each person. And that we usually take that and place it in something else outside of us and look at it and say, that's what God is. That's really what I'm getting at here is that God is a, you know, a, 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 again, an imaginary friend that is within us, but that we think is outside of us. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of accepting it within and then portraying it outward that I, that I'm really getting at. My fear is that talking in this particular way is going to have people thinking, well, shit, they think they're gods. Oh, yeah. Forget that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is not what I'm getting at in that sense at all. I think there's whole episodes to be done as far as, as identifying deistically, as far as sort of having a patron deity that, that you can embrace symbolically. And I think there are probably episodes out there that will end up focusing and targeting in on that. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to do is I'd like to change gears, if you're okay with that. Yes. Uh, and, and pop out a question. One of the forums that I'm a part of has uh, new pagans on the path. And they're looking to be witches and wizards and Wiccans and all the sorts. Uh, but they ask a lot of really interesting questions. Natalie, from one of these forums said, I'm reading a lot of books that say you should raise, manipulate, and direct energy. But not one of those books goes into the specifics of it. Seems like that would be a pretty important subject to cover. Does anyone know of any good books or resources on the subject? Uh, so what I'd like to do is rather than trying to recommend books and resources on the subject, I'd really like to just kind of answer the question. That sounds good. Uh, so, Riella, let me ask you, what, what does it mean to raise, manipulate, and direct energy? She has the, the, the right three points, but the word energy is very obtuse. Well, what is energy? Uh, energy is well. Energy, energy is everywhere. You find it. Uh, it's your body heat. It's it's the uh, it's the uh, polarity of the Earth. Of uh, that's the push and pull of the moon on the tides. It's 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 atoms. You know, we're going to get it. You know, I'm going to go deep and kind of get into, you know, your quantum science and science is pretty much, I think, done a pretty good job of defining what energy is Um, from a magical standpoint, uh, just like science exists. Magic is, in in my opinion, a type of science. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that with some of the quantum theories out there, they're getting closer to rediscovering 
the science of magic. I think it uh, is something that has been uh, forgotten. Uh, and and some people are now you know starting to to remember it, but there's enough of it that's left mm-hmm. uh, that's that that just exists naturally because energy exists naturally. That energy energy just it is, and it doesn't. And it's a, it's, it's a rough question, isn't it? It is a rough question. I mean, energy is, and it doesn't have a you know like a, like you know in an atom you have protons and neutrons and and things have a positive charge and a negative charge that mm-hmm. positive and negative doesn't denote good or bad it just denotes push and pull to maintain balance and what someone does when you raise manipulate and direct energy is that you're gathering all of that polarity basically um, you know, I'm going to be using some, uh, some metaphors here that maybe hopefully will resonate with some people, but, uh, it's like you, you're pulling all of that energy and you're reprogramming it for a specific purpose. And then you're putting it out there and like throwing a stone in a, in water, mm-hmm. it creates a ripple and the ripples go out and out and out. And those ripples impact other people's ripples and causes change. Okay. Um, so let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. If, if you were to bring a person into a circle and train them how to raise, manipulate, and direct energy, how would you approach that? Because I understand, I understand philosophically where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if, if the question's coming from a, a practicality point of view. Like how, how quite literally would you do that? Okay. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and it's interesting that question that comes up is I'm kind of going through like my internal library of well, what about this book? What about that book? What about that? And I'm like, gosh, she's right. You know, there's a lot of books out there talk about it, but they don't actually say this is how you do it. And, and it's like, yeah. okay, well, how did I learn how to do it? And generally how I learned how to do it was by attending circle and experiencing that energy uh in a in a contained you know safe environment and what did that energy feel like it to me it was like uh it was like you know kind of how you get you know how you get kind of that adrenaline rush and sort of that that the shakiness like post-workout where you know oh my gosh you know every every part of me feels alive Mm-hmm. Um, that tingle and it could be anything from, from that, um, to, to feeling, um, you know, oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm, I am ravenous and I need to eat an entire chicken, uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, you know, maybe I just feel warm and fuzzy inside and, and, and fulfilled or contented. Um, there are times when you know, I've raised manipulated and directed energy and used too much of my, of, of my own reserves and mm-hmm. have, have come out of that feeling like I have a hangover because you literally do, mm-hmm. you know, or can have a hangover from, um, pushing and pulling too much or draining yourself. 
you know, it's weird thinking about this from previous experiences. I, I've actually used the term ritual hangover. Oh, yeah. No, I've used it. You come out feeling very lightheaded, uh, feeling almost high, granted for no particular reason <laughs> other than being in a ritual circle. Uh, and it is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's I've described it that way before. And I, I don't know that at the time I gave it much thought, just that it was like an experience. I, when I started getting into committed to a form, um, a path of formal instruction uh, in a tradition and uh, working with other established priests and priestesses of that tradition and the elders as well, learning to understand the various types of energy. And when I say types of energy, basically, you know, think of that a facet. Energy is just energy. It's Mm-hmm. It's when you call it to yourself and you use whatever visualization of uh, symbolism that resonates with you that gives it that particular color, that particular smell, that particular archetype um, or represents that particular emotion mm-hmm. that you're looking for, you know, whether it's, you know, the warm fires of, of South or, or the, um, you know, the emotional depths of water. And so it's all of those terms, uh, descriptions, um, all of that is basically the, the programming of, of yourself of, or an, and of the energy that you're drawing up that mm-hmm. programs it, basically. Gotcha. Uh, one of the things that I would recommend for somebody who wants to start working with energy is first you got to understand your own energy and, and what that is and medit um, a practice of meditation, um, starting a, starting a meditative practice where you just for a couple minutes a day, try to be fully present in a moment and where, you know, you get the, you get those little voices and the little gerbils inside your head mm-hmm. of, you know, saying, oh, I got to do this, or I got to do that, and you want to balance your checkbook or something like that, because people nowadays are so inundated with uh, data and technology that silence is deafening mm-hmm. to the human mind. But working on being able to focus in a particular moment to just make everything stop, where you can just be. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, I, kind of really suck at meditation personally uh, for a long period of time because I'm, you know, I start getting aches and pains if I either sit or something too long. Uh, one of the ways I get around that is uh, a, practicing yoga because yoga is, uh, a, yoga is moving and directing energy through your body mm-hmm. and um, trying to become that balanced energetically. There's, you know, a bunch of, other spiritual stuff that could go into that too. But not only is it good for your mind, but, and, and soul, but it's, it's great for your body as well. You know, working with, working with energy, it's kind of like playing a sport. There are rules to it and you have to train, you have to practice with it so that that way you can keep yourself safe and be able to perform. And when I say that there are rules I'm I'm not in rules, Rules can be anything from religious dogma to to you know going back to the term of ritual hangover is you know 
there are rules where, you know, pull energy externally and manipulate and send that with a little bit of yourself, that the, the programming mm-hmm. that goes with that. There's a little piece of yourself as it goes through you. Right. That changes that energy. So that's, that's, that's where the manipulation part comes in then. Yeah, that's where the manipulation part comes in. It's, you know, some of the rules you learn along the way is, you know, don't send anything larger than, you know, a bread basket or, you know, or what you can, what you can put back. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, overloading yourself is, you know, just, just like somebody going to an oxygen bar or something, they can, you know, walk out going, wee. (laughs) And I, yes, I've been to an oxygen bar before, so I I understand the, the kind of the wee side of it. Yeah, some of, uh, a lot of a lot of it was was just um, practicing. I was taken through a series of of meditating. One of the one of the things for meditation is visualization. Practicing visualization. Um, I don't know if there's I don't know what what there is online with regards to that. But even if you have um, you know even listening to guided meditation tapes or whatnot to try to practice keeping your focus in one direction with mm-hmm. that guided meditation. Uh, we had a couple of like esoteric bookshops and stuff in the area that I uh, was living in. So I had an opportunity to go and um, engage myself in the workshops uh, for people from all different paths and directions uh, on guided meditation. Um, I've been to some stuff in dealing with, you know, meditations for past life regression or finding mm-hmm. your spirit animal and this and the other maybe looking you know what i would recommend to this um individual that you know is she's looking for the that how to okay how do you raise and manipulate indirect energy um one of the games i used to play with friend or whatnot was that we would we would basically create little energy balls mm-hmm. in in our hands, and then we would toss them back and forth. And it got really fun when we decided to play dodgeball one day. But just taking your hands and rubbing them together really fast until they get really, really hot, mm-hmm. and then pull them apart until they're just a couple of inches apart. And then right. feel that. And then when you try, there's like this resistance when you try to kind of push it, push them back together, kind of like polarities of a magnet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's raising energy. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. I think that's it's it, it's funny because in this particular thread that 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 particular method was was pitched, and the response back from some was, well, that's just friction. So what I would argue here is that if you're working with someone, uh, what you're really working with is your imagination. So yes, it is friction, but you know it's it's a, a sense of not just friction, it's vibration, it's it's a series of, of sensations that went in rubbing your hand together and pulling it apart that now your imagination can kind of latch onto and it can sort of create, if you will, an imaginary object. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to play off as if saying something that is imaginary isn't important. In fact, to the, to the extreme opposite, I want to say that everything around you first started in someone's imagination. Every couch, the chair you're sitting in, the computer you're in, every piece of everything around you that was built by another human soul began as someone's imagination. And it was, mm-hmm. it was born in the mind. So 
the ability to control one's imagination and run it through the course to a physical manifestation. You know, and I don't mean physical manifestation as in like if I think hard enough, it's just going to poop up into reality. But I mean physical manifestation as in like I wanted to build a chair. I went out. I got the wood. I cut the wood. I made a chair. That's physical manifestation. But it was Mm -hmm. born in the mind. So when I say that, you know, you've rubbed your hands, you've pulled it apart, and you're creating the ability to physically feel a sensation of an imaginary object. And then there is something about being able to share, to agree upon with someone else that you have this imaginary object. You're sharing an imaginary object and, and that you're tossing it back and forth between each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I can, from my perspective, say, well, they're not tossing anything really. But the reality is that the two people are sharing an imaginary object and that is so basic and so uh, core. I don't mean basic isn't bad. I mean, basic is in like um, uh, foundational, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a basic part of our imagination structure. And to be able to do that and play with it, uh, I think is great. Because again, playing is simulating what you want done or what you want to do. When I think about what magic is, when I think about uh, craft work, I really think about what play is. Because, you know, this kind of is a sort of level of play. You know, you're using symbols in order to create a structure within your imagination and that structure is built on something you're trying to simulate. Oh yeah. That's uh, one of the reasons why when you in magical work and practice, when I have been performing uh, when I'm doing a spell for a specific reason, uh, you know, once I have raised, manipulated and released that energy mm-hmm. many times upon release of that energy, I refer to that the result the past tense. Right. Because it was done before I even released it. Right. Right. And yeah. then it and then the the part of it was like, oh well, you know, if I if I do, you know, in, in in doing something to create change um or to manifest change. Mm-hmm. Because that's what a lot of spell work is about, is trying to manifest change in your reality. Right. Not necessarily other people's reality, your reality. But you know, when you're in a circle and and you are casting a circle, mm-hmm. uh, they may not see it, but what you're doing is is you're you're sharing uh, a construct of your imagination. You're saying, "I I'm imagining a boundary, and you need to imagine it with me." However, you want Correct. to imagine it, you're imagining it with me. Now we're sharing uh, a a symbol. An imaginary, a symbol of the mind, if you will, and that symbol will play on the mind. You will feel constricted. You, you'll actually feel like you're within the boundaries of this thing. If you're willing to share this this imaginary symbol, then you will both obey sort of the rules of this imaginary symbol. You've created something real that you can both agree on, even though it is not reflected as a physical, tangible thing in the world around us. You've agreed on it. And, and now it, it does actually feel real. Mm-hmm. And thus, when you end a ritual and you bring the circle down and, and there's a method for doing that, everybody feels that it's down. You feel that it is over. It has been completed. You know, you, what you have agreed upon has now been deconstructed and you're going to go on about your merry way. But it's really a matter of, of agreeing upon this sort of imaginal, imaginary construct and trusting each other that 
everyone's willing to buy into this imaginary construct that's being created or, or being projected. Yeah. And in that construct, you're, you're basically creating this temporary reality that is a shared, uh, it's a shared, you know, communal reality. Very yeah. similar from, cause you know, everything, everything from, from my perspective in, in magic, you know, my, ma- microcosm, macrocosm, you know, the universe is reflected in a drop of water and a grain of sand. Right. Right. Um, cause it's all made up of the same thing. And, right. uh, so when you create a circle and, and, and you're creating a common reality within right. a group of people. And the, there's a larger world common reality, mm-hmm. which is why we exist as we do. I mean, everyone agrees when they see a table or a chair. Oh, that's a table. That's a chair. Right. And we, and we, we kind of socially agree to interact with it a certain way. And we, yeah, we socially, yeah. We, we agree that we socially will interact in a certain way exactly and that we're going to follow certain, certain norms or certain rules or, you know, have certain types of manners or mores or whatever, a, a culture and um, a set of behaviors uh, to function. And we agree on, on that commonality in, in a very uh, global perspective. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. We've, it's very easy to go kind of windy down the road on these things. <laughs> I want to, I want to take a stab at the raising and manipulating and directing energy thing from the wizard's perspective, if that's all right. Yep. Um, I would dare say that Natalie has already done this. And in fact, I think anyone that listens to this has already has deep, deep experience in raising, manipulating and directing energy. And I'm going to give you an example because if, if you've ever been on social media or you've ever written a letter or you've ever received an email, Here's how it goes. Somebody sends you something that really pisses you off. <laughs> and you read it and it lodges in your head. And, you're, and, and immediately what happens is, is your face gets hot uh, and you start to really think on what was said. And you get, you, get, you get physically warm and you're pissed off. You are raising energy. Just thinking about it. And I'd like to, for stomach, the moment. Stomach starts to turn. and Yeah. 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 You, you start thinking about the response. How are you going to just bat this back at that person? How are you going to set them straight? Right? So then what happens is you're like, well, I'm going to respond to that. And you start to think about the words. You, you, you start typing out the words and you delete a few things. You add a few things. You move paragraphs around. You manipulate the energy that you've risen. You've got an anger and now you are focusing it in and manipulating it in such a way that it will best communicate your feelings about what was said. Right. You, you mm-hmm. are you are you've raised this sort of anger and frustration to a point now where you're inspired to manipulate it. You know, you're constructing this response. And then when you hit the send button, <laughs> sometimes the most regretful thing you can do, when you hit the send button, now you have directed that manipulated energy outward toward the person that, that you want to have read this response. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> that is a very negative thing, uh, but it's also, uh, you know, if, I think it's something that everyone has experienced. I think that if you if you have any life on social media or you've ever just received an email that you felt attacked or that you just absolutely disagreed with, 
that or somebody's just said something and you just you bubbled up the right way to communicate and compact your your emotions to express it outward to a specific individual or or subject of some sort of target of some sort that is raising that is manipulating and that is directing energy so i'd like to replace the word energy with mood first off mood is a much softer word uh, but i think energy is very uh, it's very wide and tends to be, I don't want to say empty, but just hard to nail down. But I think if I say mood, people can say, oh, mood, right. Okay. It's not just your feelings. It's about everything that kind of manipulates your feelings. It could be, you know, the color of the paint in your room. Um, it could be the song on the radio. Uh, it could be whether or not you have the lights on or off that all of these things direct your mood. So if you want to be in a particular mood, you do certain things. So uh, I'll give you another example. Like, you know, maybe you're like, uh, I'm in a really nostalgic mood and I'm feeling kind of lonely. So I'm going to grab a box of tissues. I'm going to watch, um, oh, uh, what's a good mood movie? Um, the Notebook? I think so. Oh, <laughs> you've not seen it. Huh? I actually watched it or not. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Neither have I. But I hear it's a good mood, sort of a mood movie. But you grab the movie that, that helps to provoke you, to put you in that mood that you're desiring. You've grabbed the, the box of tissues. And, and often for some people, you know, we are kind of like the Pavlov's dog. There are certain symbols in our environment that kind of communicate to the back of our brain, oh, this thing is coming, expect it. And that mm-hmm. sort of ancient part of our brain that's more emotionally triggered doesn't communicate well with that more that younger evolutionary front of our brain that's more logic. So if we want to communicate with the back of our brain, we're going to start crying soon. You can actually start prepping yourself by grabbing the box of tissues. And by prepping, I mean it actually enhances the mood. Like your brain goes, oh, it's that. Okay, well, we're just going to get in the mood, right? Mm-hmm. So then, you know, you all sorts of emotions come up and you, you, you take that and you're like, you know, I really miss talking to this one person. And then you take that energy and you write a letter. And you're like, I'm just, I'm going to pour my heart out onto this piece of paper. I'm going to write it in ink. I'm not going to type it out. And then you just kind of put it out there and you fold it up and then you send that letter out. That is another example of how you raise energy, you manipulate it, and you direct it. When you're in circle, that's the point, is that you're trying to change your worldview. The only way to get full buy-in to change your worldview is to say, I logically know that I want to put my head in this place. I'm going to create a space that puts me in a particular, a very specific mood. Then I'm going to take that energy, that mood, those feelings that come with that mood, and I'm going to focus it into doing something specific to something else, right? Yeah, another uh, very, very similar to that. Like when you wake up, when you wake up in the morning, Mm -hmm. everybody has a routine that they go through in getting themselves ready for the day. Mm-hmm. They go in, they brush their teeth, you know, take a shower and either eat breakfast or get coffee. There's, there's a certain set of things that they do each day. And then they're going to their job or taking their kids to school mm-hmm. uh, that puts them in a mindset. Uh, for example, you know, when you are getting ready, you know, everything you do in the morning that brings you to your job is are a set of things dressing a certain way. If you have to wear a uniform, putting that specific uniform on puts you in a specific mindset over time. Absolutely. Your morning ritual is, mm-hmm. is exactly that. 
by getting mm-hmm. up and doing, you know, the, the things you do to get yourself ready for that workday, including what you wear, you know, what you wear is symbolic as well. You are raising a very specific type of energy, a very specific type of mood. You are manipulating it by purposefully doing it and going through the ritual. So the, the actual process of raising that energy and manipulating that energy goes hand in hand. And then you get in the car and you head to work. And when you get to work, your mind should be in a place where you're ready to do that. Uh, and sometimes, like, if something is out of order, you forget to brush your teeth or, you know, something dramatically alters your morning, you feel out of sorts. Like, your energy is fucked yeah. for the day. Like, you just get to work and you're like, nothing started right. Nothing is going to go right. Exactly. And in fact, it, it kind of becomes like because your mind isn't mentally prepared for optimal work mood optimal work energy, uh, you, you, you start to notice things going wrong that otherwise you wouldn't even pay attention to. Like your, your mind is kind of in a weird place. It's almost like going to work with no pants on. You're like, something feels <laughs> wrong and, and, and uh-huh. it's, it's cool in some places, but warm in others. And I don't get it. And it's just, yeah, everything seems off because your, your body is now noticing things that are there that are skewed from your work mind. Correct. And the, and the energy that's directed towards work. So uh, when I say energy, I say it kind of, again, in, in, in kind of hand in hand with, you could say mood. You could say emotion. I think mood for me is a better word because mood takes into effect a lot of symbolism that might build you up to a set of feelings or emotions or maybe just a mindset. And, mm-hmm. and well, yeah, the, my, your mood, your mindset, it, it creates a context um, it's a lens that you see the world through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And everything you do is, is energetic. So when you see the world and you operate in the world through a particular lens, what you're really doing is you're, you're using your internal energy, you're, you're, you're basically what you do, but it does it differently because you're perceiving the world in, a, in, a, in an, a slightly different way that day. And as a result, how you interact with the world is going to change your, again, I don't like using the word energy because it's very fluffy, but it's, it's, um, in this sense, it's literally energy equates to your actions, like literally how you move through the day as you're riding the wave of time that, that is a quote unquote, your energy is, is your yeah. actions through the day. It takes energy to do those actions. So by raising your mood and manipulating that in a very specific way and then directing it, your interaction with the world, the energy that you put into interacting with the world changes. Correct. Based, based on all of the, those things. So yeah, that, uh, I'd, I'd say... That is a very good way of putting it. I'd say just to finish that off, if I, if, uh, I think that the meditation is fantastic as far as a means of, of trying to learn to control that uh, or put mm-hmm. some constraints if you have to be active. I love the idea of, of yoga. Um, oftentimes those, you know, I'm a big guy, those positions don't work really well for me. Uh, <laughs> but, well, but maybe a lot of people think of, you know, we'll, we'll do yoga and people think of, oh my God, classes and it's an hour, this, that, and the other. You could do Tai Chi. You can do Tai Chi. You know? I mean, uh, oh gosh, Tai Chi is amazing for, for really getting yourself focused and, and grounded. And that, that would actually be another thing I would, I would definitely say is is when you are raising and and manipulating and directing energy in your life um, and going through, going through your day, Mm -hmm. uh, being grounded 
And when I say grounded, it's uh, not allowing I yourself guess, to to get a, a mentally float away, if you will. Exactly. Float away is yeah. even a rough term, you know. But it, it's it's you can be mentally spacey. You can be mentally disconnected. Oh, look, squirrel! Right? Grounded doesn't allow the squirrel to happen, really. Yeah, it doesn't allow this. Yeah, it's it's having a um, a focus and and being and being centered. You know, a lot of times if if I'm sort of feeling a little bit airy and and my mind is wandering and everything. I'll take a moment, take some deep breaths, and I think about my belly button. Literally, think about think about your belly button, and boom, you are. I, I'm, I'm centered, and I'm centered, and and I feel rooted, and I feel plugged into the world. I love that advice. Bring it, bring it back to your belly button. Just bring it back. Bring to it your back belly. to yeah. Breathe, bring it back breathe to your deep belly button. into your stomach, and then bring it back into your into your belly button. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, I mean, think about it. What, well, I, what I is your what is your belly button? But where your umbilical cord connected you know, to your spine? Connected, connected <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Your your mother, you know. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that. I, I, it's basically like the spiritual version of pinch yourself, isn't it? <laughs> it's, yeah, there's a spiritual <laughs> version of pinch yourself too. And I mean, Bring and try the, try, the, try the you know, I I challenge anybody to try the belly button exercise. Um, mm-hmm. uh, standing on one leg. Standing on one leg, when you sort of kind of get ba- um, out of balance, like you're going to mm-hmm. fall over. If you think about your belly button. I'd still fall over. I'd, I'd fall over thinking about my belly button, though, but I'm pretty sure. I can I'd... become so stable. I can do tree pose. Wow. <laughs> That's, that is great practice. So uh, here's a recommendation I've got. I, I like the belly button. That's pretty cool. If, if, you, if anyone wants to experience being provoked energetically, I would recommend that you go to a comedy show. Comedy is a different, it's a difficult thing to, it's a difficult thing for humor to be provoked. It's, um, it's, it's a bit like, you know, scratching your own back versus someone else scratching your back. Someone else scratching your back is always better, right? You know, you can rub your own shoulder, but getting a massage is always better. And I, and I, and, and humor comedy, it's, it's difficult to come up with something that really makes me guffaw, but there are some people that just provoke me in such a way as to elicit you know, basic, you know, hardcore belly laughs, deep, deep belly laughs. So what I'd recommend is if somebody goes to a comedy club and particularly for a comedian that you already know you're going to enjoy, but, but you might participate, but you're really going to observe and, and be conscientious, live in the moment. Notice the attitude before the comedian comes on stage, you know, pay attention to how the comedian breaks into his jokes, how he warms the crowd up, how the crowd responds to that comedian. And that comedian is is raising energy. He's using a set of jokes to kind of warm people up, to get them used to laughing, to sharing a common comedic experience of humor. And then if if it kicks in, if it works out well, then the comedian starts to sort of manipulate and, and can kind of relax into his routine. You'll notice that uh, the movements, the sort of pregnant pauses, how the jokes are delivered becomes more natural. That's a manipulation of the energy that's being directed in the room. The more into it the crowd is, the more relaxed and into it the comedian will be. And then as a part of that, and it's all kind of cyclical, you see sort of this back and forth rapport where the energy is moved between the comedian and the crowd. The crowd will laugh. The comedian will respond. Comedian might come back to a joke that was particularly good and, and hit on something, you know, 
you know, referencing something that was funny before brings it up and makes it even more funny then. That there, there becomes a, a cycle of exchange of energy where it's raised and then it's fed in and then it's fed out. And it's almost like breathing, this level of humor. And that's a really cool example of the raising, manipulating, and directing of energy in this sort of social cycle that's provoking a really constructive emotion and one that's very difficult to provoke, which is humor. So, you know, you can go to YouTube and see it. I don't think it's nearly as good as participating, but if you want a great example, aside from everything else that we've mentioned for an example, go to your local comedy club, find somebody that you think will make you laugh, and then go there and experience it. Because that is, of any of the energy raisings, that is the most dramatic and positive, I think, for experiencing it and being aware of that fact. And then being able to take that back to your circle and go, okay, I get it, but I'm going to raise my energy and I'm going to cycle that around in a slightly different way. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Yeah. Rock it. Uh, well, I think we've actually worn this subject out quite a bit, but that was a really cool question from Natalie. You feel good about us closing this up? I think so. I'm your resident wizard. I'm their modern witch. <laughs> and we will catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So without without further ado, can you feel good about us closing this up? I think so. I'm going to put a cap on it. All right. Well, I'm your resident. I want to say witch. <laughs> I'm your <laughs> I was a witch for a long time. I'm your resident <laughs> wizard. I'm the geek. <laughs> you're the geek. I'm the nerd. You're the nerd. Okay. Uh, I'm the resident wizard. <laughs>